Praise the Lord. Amen. He is worthy. He's the only one who's worthy. And we praise Him for who He is today. Sorry, it's a little uh, warm in here. Maybe, guys, maybe we could open the main doors back there and just let them be open. Good to have you here today. We're going to be studying from the book of Exodus this morning. So let's turn our Bibles. Thank you, men. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 34. The person next to you doesn't have a Bible, share with them and invite them to lunch. We're making it easy for you. All you have to do is walk downstairs. Maybe you don't know that person next to you. Maybe it'd be a good opportunity to meet them and visit with them and spend some time with them at lunch. Exodus chapter 34, the setting for the passage is that Moses and Israel have been given the law and Moses has come down to that unthinkable scene of the people dancing naked and worshiping this calf that they have built from their rings and their necklaces that Aaron, the high priest, has allowed and propagated. And Moses has just come down from time together with the Lord, 40 days with the Lord up on the mountain. And in his frustration and righteous anger, he takes the tablets that God had written the law on and he smashes them down on the ground. Now, He has gone back a second time into the Lord's presence and spends another 40 days and 40 nights with God. Chapter 34, verse 5 tells us that he also took new tablets of stone. I'll talk more about that in a minute. And the Lord descends in a cloud, as we've seen in previous studies, and stands there with him as Moses calls in the name of the Lord. It's a really powerful and awesome picture here. The Lord had promised to meet Moses up on the mountain again, but still we see Moses calling out and seeking the name of the Lord. And in chapter 6 and 7 of verse 34, the Lord passes in front of him and declares how gracious and compassionate and kind he is and that he forgives iniquity and sin, but he says, I will not allow the guilty to go unpunished. Now what we see here, Exodus 34, 7, is a picture of the gospel 4,500 years before Christ. Because we see that God is saying, I will offer forgiveness and redemption. Those are available through my love and my mercy to all people. But if you reject me, you will have to face the consequences. And the people of Israel, a living proof of this principle. So, four and a half millenniums before Jesus ever sets foot on the earth, we see God declaring His gospel up front. Now, in a short period of time, a lot of things have happened here. And everybody needs a restoration of perspective, including Moses. Because what we've seen, and we haven't studied this uh, now, but you know the story. What we see leading up to chapter 34 is just really spiritual chaos. And the people need to have their hearts changed. But Moses has also gotten angry and thrown down the word of God that was crafted by God's hand. That's why this time, God says, this time you bring up the stones. Because in the prior time, chapter 20, God had carved the stone out with his hand and written the law on it with his hand. Now God says, this time Moses, because you got angry and you threw, essentially threw my Bible down. This time I want you to make the stones and I want you to carry them up the mountain. Little lesson here is God is foreshadowing the problem that Moses is going to have later. Because we know that Moses had uh, possibly a little bit of a temper. And we know late in life that when they're close to the promised land, 
that Moses gets angry and he hits the rock twice, and that's the impetus that causes him not to be able to go into the promised land. So God's saying in advance, Moses, watch out. Your anger gets the best of you. Be careful of that. This time, bring up the stones yourself. And Moses enters back into the presence of God with great humility and really the right spirit here as he goes up. And he says, Lord, please forgive our sin and our pride and our stubbornness and restore your people and take us as your possession. And God says in the middle of chapter 34, I know I'm going quickly here, but let me just give you a background. God says, all right, I'm going to take you as my possession and I'm going to make a covenant with you. The covenant is when you go into the land... I want you to break down and smash and obliterate all the false gods of the enemy. Now Moses, listen now, because I am willing to forgive the people, and I spared my hand at Sinai. I didn't punish you the way I could have as your God. But let me tell you, as you go into the promised land, if you want to be my possession, then when you go in, you make sure that you eliminate every single false god that you find. Look at verse 13 just for a minute. We're going to read in a moment. But in verse 13, the Lord uses verbs that are very descriptive. He says, when you find these false gods, you need to tear them down, smash them, and cut them down. God uses three different adjectives with three distinct meanings to say, here's what has to happen. He says, you need to tear them down. The word literally means to throw down, break, and destroy. Then he says, you need to smash them. The word there means to violently shatter. And then he says, you need to cut them down. Literally, it means to lop off a limb. It means to, to cut it down. And the secondary meaning of the word is to kill. Now, any question from us how God really feels about sin? Any question from us how God really feels about worshiping false gods, whatever they may be? They may not be an idol, but they may be self, or they may be materialism, or a relationship, or whatever. God makes it very clear here how he feels about this. And he says, here's what I'm calling myself. My name is Jealous. Did you know that's the name of the Lord? A lot of names of the Lord. Wonderful Counselor, Savior, Friend of Sinners, Worthy of All Praise. We know all those names. But one of God's name is Jealous. He says, my name's Jealous. And when you go in there, you better be careful that you don't make me jealous. How many know God has a right to be jealous because he's God? We're so quick many times as believers to try to be culturally relevant and try to make God accessible. And that's led to worldliness in Christianity. But God says to us here, don't mess with those idols. Don't even allow them to stay standing. I want you to violently shatter them, chip them down, destroy all evidence. Why? Look at verse 15. He says, if you don't, you're going to go in and make covenants with these false gods. Now, I'm making a covenant with you right now. I will be your God. You will be my people. I'll take possession of you. I'll lead you into the land. But if you don't do this, you're going to go in and your heart's going to get drawn to them. Listen, when our hearts are drawn to sin and worldliness, it's going to influence us unless we completely cut it off. This is not a game. There's no latitude. We can't toy around with sin and say, well, I'll keep a foot in this world and a foot in this world and it'll be fine. God says, I want to be abundantly clear to you. My people should not stray from me. They should not get preoccupied with the world. They should follow me. Now look at how he emphasized this. 
He takes those tablets that Moses brought up and he says, I'm going to write this over again for you. Moses, don't smash these this time, okay? Look at what God says in verses 29 to 35. Let's read. It came about when Moses was coming down from Mount Sinai and the two tablets of testimony were in his hand as he was coming down from the mountain that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because of his speaking with God. So when Aaron and all the sons of Israel saw Moses, behold, the sin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Then Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers in the congregation returned to him, and Moses spoke to them. Afterward, all the sons of Israel came near, and he commanded them to do everything that the Lord had spoken to him on Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face, but whenever he went in before the Lord to speak with God, he would take off the veil until he came out. Whenever he came out and spoke to the sons of Israel what he had been commanded, the sons of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone. So Moses would replace the veil over his face until he went in to speak with him. Now, outside of those who walked with Jesus Christ, I don't believe there's anybody in the Bible who spent more time in the literal presence of God than Moses. And when he comes down after 40 days and 40 nights in the presence of God, his face is shining because he has been close to God and he's been meeting with God and he's been talking with God. Now from this point on, he has established a place called the tent of meeting. And the tent of meeting, it's not the tabernacle now, the tent of meeting was a specially designed tent where Moses would just go in and meet with the Lord. No one else was allowed in there. No one else had that same special arrangement. And it wasn't just because Moses was the leader. It was because, listen now, Moses was a man of God. Twice in Scripture, the Spirit says Moses was a man of God. Anybody in this room, any believer, can be a man or a woman of God. But listen that's not a term that we just throw around flippantly. That's not something where you say, oh, they're, they're a man of God. Oh, they're a woman of God. There's a special designation there in Scripture where God specifically says, that person right there, that's a man of God. That, that woman right there who loves me, she's a woman of God. There's no question that this is the greatest need in our world today, let alone our greatest need within Christianity. How different were our churches be? And by extension, how much impact would we have on the world if there were more men and women of God? Not churchgoers, not religious people, not people that put on a good front, but real men and women of God. Because there's a big difference between that and somebody that just goes to church. I once heard a pastor describe it as people who have the ability to bring people to God and, and excuse me, bring God to people and bring people to God. Men and women of God are not about themselves. They're not preoccupied with the world. They're not caught up in self-focus. They're, they're not frivolous in any way. They are only and all about the Lord. And that's who Moses was. Finally, after 80 years of self-indulgence and self-pity and misplaced priority and lack of direction, finally, after 80 years, Moses gets it. He finally understands the importance of getting alone with the Lord where he can talk to the Lord and the Lord can talk to him. And the only reason 
that he is able to get, uh, gain the trust of the people and lead them after the debacle at Sinai, after the golden calf, after 3,000 plus people were killed in one day, the only way that he can influence them in any way is because he's regularly talking to the Lord. Look back at chapter 33 for a minute, verse 7. Let's see how this came about. Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, a good distance from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. And it came about that whenever Moses went out to the tent, that all the people would arise and stand, each at the entrance of his tent, and gaze after Moses until he entered the tent. Just close your eyes for a second and picture this now. There's this special tent that's outside the camp. Moses makes the long trek, because he's about uh, 82 at this point. He makes the long trek, and he goes, and they watch him, and everybody stands at the entrance of their tent, and they watch Moses go into that tent of meeting. Whenever Moses entered the tent, verse 9, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. When all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would arise and worship, each at the entrance of his tent. Then the Lord, excuse me, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. And when Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. You got the picture in your head? Moses sets up the special tent. It's out at the outside of the uh, camp, and he would walk slowly, and everybody would get out of their tents, and they'd stand at the entrance of their tent, and they'd watch Moses go. And as Moses entered into the tent, the cloud would come down and stand at the entrance of the tent, and God would speak to Moses face to face. The text says, like a friend speaks to a friend, like I'm speaking to you. God would speak directly to Moses. That's a pretty awesome God, isn't it? And it says that those who sought the Lord, notice there's a designation, those who sought the Lord would go and stand there and worship because the presence of the Lord was there. Now the fact that it designates those who sought the Lord means that there were some who didn't seek the Lord. Always look at what's not written as much as what is written. Those who sought the Lord stood and worshipped and praised, which means that there were some who didn't seek the Lord. There were some, uh, this, is, this is impossible for me to fathom. There were some who had seen God enter down in this cloud and knew that God was talking to Moses face to face, who said, eh, another day Moses is out at the tent of meeting. You know what? I'm busy. Get the pita and the falafel. Let's eat. You know, this is the same old thing day after day. There goes Moses out to the tent. I don't know what he's doing out there. There comes the cloud. Okay, yeah, it's... Literally, guys, this is what's in the text. Imagine there were people that were actually complacent about that. The fact that Moses was there with the Lord gave him a unique influence with them. It gave him the ability to lead. You know, and if there's one thing that's really deficient, I think, in each of our lives, I don't mean that critically, I mean that as, a, as an observation. I know it's true of me. There's one thing that's deficient in each of our lives. It's the ability to really influence people for the Lord. Think about that phrase. Really influence people for the Lord. The reason why so few Christians have a powerful influence on other people is because there's too much focus on self. And in a sense, we've learned it 
from the emphasis the churches have taken. The church has appealed to people not because of the gospel, not because of doctrine, not because of praise. The church now tries to appeal to people based on their comfort and their felt needs. And the church itself has become very consumer-driven. How do you know that? You know that because think about the discussion about churches. What type of music do they have? How long is the service? Churches even advertise this. We'll only keep you for 60 minutes. Not today. Sorry. Only keep you. We'll only, we'll only bother you now. Come on. If you just show up, we'll only bother you for 60 minutes. And we'll make it sound like a rock concert. And you can wear whatever you want. And there will be media so you won't lose any interest because your attention spans three seconds. And everything will be wonderful. It'll be like going to Disney. You know what? I went to Disney two years ago. I cannot compete with Disney this morning. I can't. Disney's unbelievable. This is not product placement. This is just a fact. There's not a spot on the ground. The people are all happy. Unusually kind of creepy happy. Everything's perfect. I can't compete with that this morning. My voice is going that we're in a different location. You had to park down the street. You know what? This is church. And we don't have to try to pretend and say, well, we'll just make it so it'll be all happy and, and, and everything will be easy and you don't have to be stressed and we'll have you out in seven minutes. You're not going to be out in seven minutes. In fact, I want you to stay and eat. 54 feet of subs. Did I tell you about that? None, listen now, I'm serious. None of that stuff matters. The Bible never says that's how you influence people for Christ. I can't find one verse that says that. Paul says, and we quote this a lot, well, it's supposed to be all things to all people. But listen, that's been widely misquoted and widely misused. Paul, of all people, never compromised his convictions. He never soft-pedaled the Word of God. In fact, he made enemies of people. He had people turn on him and stab him in the back. And he had conflict with Barnabas over John Mark, who was kind of worldly and said, well, I want to go home to mom. Paul said, fine, we got the work of ministry to do. Barnabas, take him. Unfortunately, John Mark came around and they were reconciled. He had a great ministry together. But Paul said, I don't have time for this. Silas, come on, you come with me. Barnabas is worried about John Mark. We don't have time to worry about the things in the world. We have ministry to do. Paul never followed trends. The point is that you don't change people by identifying with them. You change people by having been with the Lord yourself. And it's changed you. And it's unmistakable and clear to them in how you think and how you talk and how you relate and how you act and the choices you make. And they look at your spirit and they say, there is something really different. Being with the Lord magnifies the act of salvation, of sanctification. It makes you more set apart and more holy and more like the Lord. So here's the first spiritual principle we need to get this morning. Write some stuff down. The first spiritual principle of being with God's presence, when Moses with the Lord, when we're with the Lord, it changes us. When you spend time with the Lord, it changes you. The more you're with Him, the more you become like Christ. The more your heart is sensitive to the Spirit, the more you're willing to yield. And God uses that humility in us to impact the lives of others. But there's a second act 
uh, aspect to that increased influence that, that almost seems to contradict the point, but it's an essential truth. The first principle is when you spend time with the Lord, it changes you. The second truth, which is a parallel truth, is that when you're changed from being in God's presence, it doesn't lead to self-promotion. When you spend time with the Lord, it changes you. But when you're changed, it doesn't cause self-promotion. When Moses comes down in verse 29, when you get done writing, look back at it, it says that his face shone, but notice, he doesn't even know it. He doesn't come down self-conscious saying, oh, I'm really sorry about the glow, guys. I better get a veil and cover my face because I, I know I'm kind of different. And he doesn't come down all proud and arrogant like, look at me. Man, I'm glowing. Could you see? Look at this. I am the man of God. This is so cool. Look at, look. No, seriously, guys. Aaron, come here. Look. Look at that. Isn't that the greatest tan you've ever seen in your whole life? I mean, seriously. He's not going, come on, who's the man? You, not glowing, me, glowing. Draw your own conclusion. He had been right in the presence of God for 40 days. He didn't even know that his face glowed. And even when they told him, it didn't turn into an ego party. One of the dangers we face in Christianity is that there is so much self-promotion. Primarily because we've learned it from the world's priorities and primarily because it's just so ingrained in human nature. And listen, Moses had an ego like everybody else. He got angry at the Egyptian that was hurting the fellow Jew and he killed the Egyptian. He had arrogance in the way he led he struck the rock twice because he thought God didn't give the right instructions. He, he had just as much as ego as you and I. But notice, after he spent expended time in God's presence, he's humble and unaware. When God touches us and uses us to influence people, he doesn't change our personality. He just sanctifies it. But we're still who we are. We may have extra power from the Spirit, and he may choose to use us in supernatural waves despite ourselves, but he doesn't change us. He utilizes what we have. Peter was a passionate, impulsive hothead. That was a negative until the Spirit took control of him. And then Peter stands up at Pentecost and said, let me tell you about my Jesus. And when they threaten their lives, Peter says, uh-uh, we're not backing down to you. See, the passion and the hot-headedness under the sanctification of the Holy Spirit changed and became powerful. D.L. Moody was insecure and he was heavy and he was unattractive. The first time he applied for church membership, he got rejected. I learned that this week. His Sunday school teacher said about him, I can truly say I have seen few persons whose minds were spiritually darker than his when he first came to my class. Can you imagine D.L. Moody? And yet, under God's grace, Moody became humble. And one of the things about Moody is he constantly deflected away from himself. He said, oh, somebody else needs to preach. And he would push Andrew Murray or G. Campbell Morgan, great men of God, in front of him and say, I'm not worthy. You guys preach instead. You're far better than me. To this day, Moody's name, when you say it, you know it. He has a church named after him, a university named after him. The impact of Moody's ministry is widespread. But Moody didn't stand there and say, I am the best preacher on the face of the earth. 
He said, I am so unworthy of this. See, when you're with the Lord, there's a change that takes place internally and it expresses itself outwardly by influencing other people. Notice, when Moses came down, he doesn't have to say anything. He doesn't preach a sermon. I've been on the mountain for 40 days now, and uh, the Lord's given me a word. Take your Bibles and open them. Uh, three points this morning of what God has done. He just walks down. He's carrying the tablets. His face is glowing. Hey, guys, I need to tell you what happened. Whoa, Moses, seriously. You're glowing. What? What are you talking about? You're glowing. Oh, we, we can't even really look at you. There's something about God's presence that reflected on his face. Aaron walks up and he's still got the spiritual residue of the golden calf in his hands. Moses says, come here. Aaron, come here. Priests, come here. People, come here. We need to talk. I need to, t- I need to tell you what the Lord has told me. And listen, before they even knew the words, they were convinced. Why? Because they saw his face. He had been with the Lord. Spiritual principle number three. Being in the presence of the Lord reminds us that any effectiveness is all based on the anointing of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Any effectiveness that you and I are going to have as believers, as witnesses, as evangelists, as people that influence other people for Christ, is going to be solely based on the anointing of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I can't tell you, because I can't count that high, how many hours this week, and I know I'm sounding critical this morning, but I've been in ministry a long time. I've been around church all my life. Listen now to what I'm saying. I cannot tell you how many hours this week will be spent in pastoral staffs and worship departments carefully choosing songs and words designed to orchestrate a certain feel. I can't tell you, and I've done it myself, I am as guilty as anybody, how many times pastors labor over the words to make sure they're just right and said with the right inflection so that it'll come across and stir people's hearts. And all that does is eliminate the work of the Holy Spirit. The words don't matter. The melody doesn't matter. The outline doesn't matter. The illustrations in the PowerPoint don't matter. What matters is the power of the Holy Spirit and the heart of the ones who bring them. Now, I love that song. And my wife loves that song because when we go into parts at the end and the men are like, I can't hit that high note, but I'm going to try. You know that part at the end? My wife loves that song. She said in the car yesterday, I love that because it makes me think of heaven, the different sectors of heaven that will be praising God. Isn't that a cool thought? I love that song. I truly believe the people that wrote that song were inspired of the Lord. But listen, if the choir gets up here and we're trying to just impress you, or if we're singing coldly, Hallelujah, you're worthy. Hallelujah, we pray. Imagine, what would you think? If we're up here to impress you, if it's not personal, then it is rubbish. I don't care how inspired it is. If we're not seeing it from our hearts and we don't really mean it, who cares? Only the Lord 
is worthy of our praise. Only He gets the acclaim as the Lord and Redeemer and Savior. And if we don't absolutely believe that with our hearts, then it's all mechanical and heartless. You cannot manufacture authenticity. Either it's there or it's not. For Moses, it was there because he had been in the presence of the Lord. And when you've been in the presence of the Lord, there's nothing like it. And God stirs your heart and you get different. I love that passage in Acts 4 where Peter and John are threatened and arrested and kind of roughed up a little bit and they stand before the people and they say, you're not going to preach Jesus anymore. And they say, mm-hmm, want to bet? In fact, not only are we going to preach Jesus, we're going to preach Him more boldly now. We're going to preach Him more fervently now because people need Jesus Christ. We're going to be more dogmatic about our ministry. You want to throw us in jail? Fine. You want to kill us? Fine. Doesn't matter because the work's going to continue. You can't stop this. And I love in Acts 4.19, it says that they looked at them and they noticed that they had been with Jesus. Not physically. Jesus was in heaven. But every day, practically, it was obvious they had been in his presence. It wasn't his past presence. It was his present presence. Are you living in the present presence of the Lord? Because when you've been with Jesus, it's everything. That's why it says in Psalm 1 that men and women of God delight in God's law and meditate on it day and night and they're like a tree that is planted firmly by streams of water. Water in scripture always represents God's spirit and his refreshing work and his refreshing power. So when we are walking with the Lord, when we're abiding with the Lord, we're like that tree and the roots go down deep. And it says in Psalm 1 that the tree yields fruit because how many know that fruit is an outgrowth of healthy roots? If the roots aren't in there, what happens? The plant withers and dies. It becomes nothing. So the question for us is, are my roots diseased? It may not show outwardly. You may, you know, you got the nice suit, you're representing well, and you look like a believer, and maybe even your heart, you know that's true. But, But really, down deep, where God looks, because God doesn't look at outward appearance, He looks at the heart, so He's looking down at the roots. He's not impressed by anybody's leaves. Do you ever think about that? God doesn't care what your leaves look like. He wants to know what's happening in the root. Because a plant can look fine on the outside, but underneath it's withering away. Don't get caught up in the tendency now to spend all your time time attending to the leaves of your life because they're eventually going to fall off. Make sure the roots are deeply, deeply planted. The Bible says that a tree bears fruit according to to its seed. So where are your spiritual roots established? That part that no one sees. That part that no one knows about. You don't have to be educated. You don't have to be clever. You don't have to be anything other than what you are. Spending time in daily renewal in the presence of the Lord. That's the only way faith will be maintained. Listen, you can be stirred up this morning. Oh, it's a great service. The choir was awesome. We ate 54 feet of subs and it was just awesome. And I'm so energized. I'm ready for our week. And then Tuesday hits. And a loved one has a health problem. Or something happens at work. Or you have a fender bender. Or whatever happens. And all of a sudden, oh, I knew it. It's never going to be spring. My job's not getting any better. The state's in turmoil. The economy's a mess. Japan's having all kinds of problems. I can't. Oh, I wish it was still Sunday. 
Listen, this hour and a half's not going to do it for the rest of the 166 and a half hours of the week. It's good. This morning's good. But, but you need more. And I don't mean let's have a service every day so you can be energized. I mean you need to spend time alone with the Lord and be hungry for Him. And your faith and your, your life has to be renewed. Moses influenced people only because he had been influenced by God. And that's so needed in our world. Listen, people are routinely and callously dismissing and ignoring God and they're seeking false gods and God keeps sending warnings and we keep saying, well, we're missing it. I don't know how many people this week have commented, you see an earthquake, you see a tsunami, you see unthinkable pictures and I keep coming back to that phrase, the trumpet's coming out of the case. This is not just accidental stuff. Oh, there have always been earthquakes. True, there have. But do you really feel like this is normal? Do you really feel like the mess in the Middle East is normal? The reason the world needs to see Christians regularly in the presence of God is because those Christians have influence. And listen, it's not about a shining face. Don't pray, God, give me a shining face because that's how the devil tricks us into making it about us. Unaware of self, humble before the Spirit, listening to Him, ready to tell people about the peace that only comes from Christ. Listen, peace is volatile. There's no peace in Japan this morning. None. I watched those pictures, the video, remarkable video, of the, of the earth shaking. It happens to us personally and spiritually, right? Some of you had a lousy week. Your, your earth got shaken this week. And I watched the futility of these workers in an office. I don't know what I've done. I've never been in an earthquake, so I'm not judging. I'm just saying it struck me as, as funny that they're standing in the middle of an 8.9 earthquake and they're holding on to bookshelves. Can't let the books fall because we'll have to clean that up. And I thought that's a spiritual picture of what we do when our world gets shaken and kind of discombobulated because somebody said something rude to us or something happened in our circumstances or you're disturbed by something and you kind of, I'm going to hold on to what's temporary and if I could just keep that stable, everything will be fine. And meanwhile, the walls are crashing down, the ceiling's coming in, but we're holding on to the bookshelf. That bookshelf's not going to protect us. Oh, it'll protect you presence of the Lord. You're never disappointed when you spend time with the Lord. Hear that. You are never disappointed when you spend time with the Lord. You can be shaken and disturbed and confused, and then you go into His presence, and you just sit there, and the Lord starts to refresh you, speak to you, and then you start to read His Word. You start to pray, Lord, I don't know what to pray, but Father, help me. And God sends His peace and His comfort. And God brings His Spirit alongside as the paraclete. Remember that passage of Psalm 42, you're the help of my presence. It's your face right there with me. I'm with you. Listen, why do you think the enemy tries to get us away from Bible study and prayer? Why do you think he works so hard? If it wasn't effective, he wouldn't work so hard to get us away from it. But he keeps us busy and distracted. You ever had that time when you're in prayer and all of a sudden your mind goes, well, you're praying about something urgent and then you start to go to the to-do list? 
Oh, yeah, i got to do that. You know what? I know I'm praying, Lord. Let me write this down just real quick. Okay, back to prayer. And already you've lost the stream of thought. All right, Lord. Oh, oh wait, 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 wait. Just a second. One more thing. Okay. I'm, oh, no. No, I got that. Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. Better deal with that and that and that and that. All right, Lord, I'm going to, um, Lord, let me get back to you. Or you're starting to study, and um, this happens to me sometimes when I'm studying my computer. Oh, let me just I'm gonna click the, that score. Let me just see what's going on in that game. Or let me just check my updates, see if anybody's written me or my email. And all of a sudden, you've lost 10, 15 minutes. Listen, if there's no power from being in the Lord, why do you think the devil battles churches on it? Why do you think the one thing he's attacked in churches is primitive? Why do you think he attacks ministers and causes them to be so busy that they lose their influence on people? And when everything comes crashing down, we don't have that frame of reference. Look at it. We're almost done. When everything comes crashing down and the Ten Commandments are in pieces, go back to chapter 33, Moses gets it right. He says, "Uh uh-uh, stop. I need to build a tent. And I need to get out there and get in the presence of the Lord. I remember what it was like when I was out there on Sinai. I got to go back there. And God comes down and he speaks to them and he meets with Moses. This is simple, pure communion with God. It's not a show. It's not a ritual. It's not repetitive prayers. Moses isn't faking this. This is just time with the Lord. Lord, I need to hear from you. Lord, I'm going to pray to you. I want to speak your name. I want to praise you. Lord, just be with me. And you know what? When Moses walks out of the tent, what happens? There's that glow again. And when Moses goes back up to Sinai for 40 days, and he comes down, there's that glow again. He's all there. Notice one last thing in verse 11, chapter 33. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Moses would bring his assistant Joshua, the man who was going to eventually become the leader of Israel. And when Moses comes out of the tent of meeting and he goes back to the camp, Joshua doesn't leave. He just stays there. I don't know if he's trying to catch some residual effect from Moses or whether he just loved being that close to the presence of the Lord. But he was jealous for whatever it was. So as Moses gets done and he walks away back to the camp, guess who's there? Joshua's still there. You see it? You see him sitting there? No, I'm not leaving. Uh Uh-uh. I'll be back later, Moses. I'm I'm staying here. Fourth and last principle. When you've been in God's presence, you don't want to leave. When you've been in God's presence, you don't want to leave. I've talked before about Brooklyn Tabernacle, which has had a profound influence on my life. And I know every time I go to Brooklyn Tabernacle, and I'm hoping we're going to take a field trip next year, I'd love to do that. Every time I'm at Brooklyn Tabernacle, I don't look at my watch. I don't care how long the pastor preaches. They can sing for hours for all I care. And when it's done, I, I'm like, no, uh-uh, more. That's what being in the presence of the Lord is like. Joshua didn't want to leave the tent. He loved God's presence so much that he said, I'm staying here. Listen, this is how he became Moses' successor. Remember, Joshua and Caleb were men of God, the only ones who stayed faithful all the way through the desert. But God doesn't say, Caleb, you're, you're the man. Caleb was a man of God.
But Joshua was the one who kept abiding in God's presence, who knew we can't go forward if the Lord doesn't lead us. Number seven says that when Moses came to the tent, God spoke to him from between the cherubim. And you know, God wants to talk to you and I this morning. He wants us to understand and recognize and be like him. He wants us to learn that he has great plans for us and he wants to encourage us and build us up and reassure us, I am there for you and I'm sufficient for you and I love you. Sermons are great, but nothing will beat hearing God's word for yourself. That's why I love teaching the Bible study methods class, and I'm hoping we're going to do that in the fall. So you don't have to necessarily hear it from me. Hear it for yourself. Get God's word in your heart. Hide it in your heart. Go into his presence in prayer. Hear him speak to you. I'm not being mystical. This is biblical stuff. Get in his presence and listen, and then build each other up. Strengthen each other in the word. And as we do that, I'm done we will increasingly influence people from the Lord. How many know that Racine and Southeast Wisconsin need the Lord this morning? How many know that your family, your neighbor, this downtown, the suburbs, northern Illinois, Milwaukee, Union Grove, Guatemala, Panama, Japan, Egypt, they all need the Lord. And our lives should be so full of the Spirit that we are able to respond to that and influence people for Christ. And there should be unmistakable joy of being with the Lord and a desire for the Lord and a fear for the Lord that influences them in dramatic ways. The only way that happens is from spending time in His presence. And allowing God to get right to the roots and say, oh, there's a disease there. He didn't look closely at your leaves, but there are little spots. Anytime you see little spots in your leaves, you got a problem. It means something's wrong. Maybe this morning the leaves of your life are showing a little bit of rot. Your marriage is in trouble because one or both of you is selfish and not sacrificial and it's chipping away at the foundation of your love. Your kids aren't listening to you because you're not influencing them for Christ and they wouldn't listen anyway because your daily life is inconsistent with what you say. Your life is directionless. You know you can need to get right with the Lord, but you keep kind of yielding to the world's influence, and it's very subtle to the point that you dismiss it when I say your roots may not be as strong as you think. You can't talk to anybody about the Lord with any confidence because your faith is weak, and you haven't been feeding your soul, and you haven't been spending time in your presence. All that is an indication that growth is stunted because you have stopped being with the Lord. You're doing and doing and doing, but you're not abiding. This is one of the things I am most adamant about in leading this church is that we're not just going to keep adding program after program after program after program so we can be busy, shallow Christians. If you're not getting right with the Lord and getting time with the Lord, don't come to another event until your relationship is nurtured. I just told you not to come to church. Because if you are just here and you're not really full of the Lord and you're just kind of taking up space, I'm glad you're here and please keep coming because maybe the Word will get through. But you need to get home and get with the Lord. The Bible says in Psalms, be still and know that I'm God. And listen, here's the rub. We feel guilty doing that and we feel indulgent. Well, I'm so busy. i got so much going on. i got the kids. I was in Kenosha three times yesterday, three separate times. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. 
And finally, I'm like, enough of Kenosha already. How many times have you said that phrase? No offense, Kenosha. So busy. We can't get 30 minutes alone with the Lord without being plugged in and getting the updates. But we're not hearing from the Lord. It takes time. Let me close with this. Don't even turn. In Exodus 29, just a couple chapters back, when the priests were being ordained for ministry, they sacrificed a ram and they took his blood and they put it on their ears. Why? Because their ears were to be consecrated and set apart to only hear from the Lord. I want that kind of ear. That kind of ear that says God's voice is the only one I'm going to listen to. I'm not going to be influenced by the world. I'm not going to be influenced by culture. I'm not even going to influence by my friends. Not by emotions, not by logic, because those are biased, and the enemy knows how to twist them. I want to be influenced by the Lord so I can influence other people. God's ways are not our ways. What seems logical to us may not be the right way to go. A lot of you responded last week when I said we're not going to get a hold of God ahead of God. And I appreciate that because I meant that absolutely. More and more, we have to listen to him. And like Joshua, we need to say, I'm not going anywhere. I want to be in his presence. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning for your presence and your power, which is so wonderful. Lord, too often we get too busy. That's a choice. We neglect it. We neglect your word. We go to other things first. We pray, but we get distracted. Lord, this is a challenging word you've had for us this morning. It's not been easy. But Lord, I truly believe that it's gotten through to our hearts, and I pray it would continue even as we eat, even as we leave, even as we start our week, that it would just continue to blare in our hearts the importance of spending time with you. Lord, we're going to face challenges this week we don't even know about yet. There's going to be difficulty and conflict and struggle and problem. And the only way we can deal with that is not just to live off one service, but to spend time with you and to get that glow, that obvious evidence that we've been in your presence. Because, Lord, when we get that, the influence that we can have on other people is just profound. So, Lord, make us this week jealous for you, jealous for that time that we would set it aside, that we'd abide in your presence and linger there like Joshua saying, I'm not going back yet. I want to be with the Lord. And Lord, give us ears that are marked by that ram's blood that we're listening to you. Because Lord, when we get to that place, it will be unbelievably powerful. Help us, Father, we pray. Lord, thank you for your sufficiency. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Oh, it's, it's just unthinkable to be able to talk about it, that you love us. I pray, despite the difficulty of this word, that you'd encourage and strengthen us. You'd lift our spirits. You'd fill us with joy 
at knowing you. Moses never came out of the tent of meeting depressed. He always came out full of joy, ready to serve. Lord, stir us that way, we pray. We thank you and we praise you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. There is no other faithful God that we can put our trust in than the Lord our God. He is with us. As we spend time in his word, we know. We know that he'll be there. He'll strengthen us and grow us. Let's sing together.